0: Ephesians chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, I think you can tell by our artwork that our, we are introducing our new theme and our theme for the rest of this year is engage, engage. You know that our world is changing. How many of you recognize that the world is changing? And I don't know about you all, I'm shocked at the speed with which it's changing. Um, in 2009, Barna did a survey, and it probably would have been helpful if I had it on the uh, the, the screen for you, but try and follow this. Um, one-third of adults, 34%, believe that moral truth is absolute and unaffected by the circumstances. Only 34% believe in absolute moral truth. Um, slightly less than half, 46%, of born-again Christians believe in absolute moral truth. Did you all hear what I just said? 46% of born-again Christians believe, or those who claim to be born-again, believe in absolute moral truth. Just 49%. Half of all adults firmly believe that the Bible is accurate in all the principles it teaches. Now, those who are... Claim to be born again, 79% believe the Bible is true of those who claim to be born again. One quarter of adults are convinced that Satan is real, just 25%. You ready for this? Only 40% of born again Christians believe that Satan's real. That's the world that we live in. Have you ever, been, have you ever had a conversation with someone that you know is a Christian? And yet, as you talk with them, you can't understand where they're coming from. Has has that happened to you? How how can you think that way? They'll make a statement, and their statement doesn't seem to reconcile or doesn't seem to fit or correspond to what they claim to believe. That's because this is where the world is. Um, 28% of adults believe that it is impossible for someone to earn their way to heaven. Only 28%. You ready for this? 47%. Only 40% of born-again people believe that salvation is apart from works. Only 47% believe that. 40% of Americans are persuaded that Jesus Christ was sinless. Of born-again people, 62% believe that Jesus Christ was sinless. How many of you are shocked by this so far? Yeah. Um, Seven out of ten adults, 70%, say that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who still rules it today, and that includes 93% of born-again adults that hold that conviction. Uh, but this, here's what is... In 2004, Barna did this survey. It's, this is a different study. Based on interviews with 601 senior pastors nationwide representing a random cross-selection of Protestant churches, Barner reports that only half of the country's Protestant pastors, 51%, have a biblical worldview. 51% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Um, now, what defines a, what, how, how is that defined? All right, it's defined as believing that absolute moral truth exists, that it's based upon the Bible, and having a biblical worldview on six core beliefs. Okay, so here are the six core beliefs that the the survey assumed determined a biblical worldview. Uh, First, the accuracy of biblical teaching, the sinless nature of Jesus, the literal existence of Satan, the omnipotence, that's all-powerful, and omniscience, all-knowing attributes of God, salvation by grace alone, and the personal responsibility to evangelize. The researcher produced data showing that there are significant variations depending on the denomination. But only 51% of Protestant pastors believed those things. Is there any wonder that our nation is in a mess? So now, he broke it down by denominations. Um, the, Southern Bap- the two largest Protestant denominations, uh, the way that they have it listed, would be Southern Baptists and United Methodists. How many of you know a Southern Baptist? How many of you know a United Methodist? Okay. Okay. Um, so here's what's going on in their churches. Of the nations, 320,000 Protestant churches, 42,000 of them are Southern Baptists, 35,000 are United Methodist. All right? So the Southern Baptists had the highest percentage of pastors with a biblical worldview, 71%. So imagine 29% of Southern Baptist pastors don't agree with those things. That's kind of shocking, isn't it? It's really interesting. And then... Um, in the United Methodists, they were the lowest so seventy one percent of United Methodist pastors believed those things. only or seven did not believe those only twenty seven percent of United Methodist pastors believed in those six things: accuracy of biblical teaching, sinless na- nature of Jesus, literal existence of Satan, omnipotence and omnipri- uh, omniscience of God, salvation by grace alone, and the personal responsibility to evangelize only twenty seven percent of United Methodist pastors believed that. Um, then, this is interesting. Uh, among the other segments examined, fifty percent, fifty-seven percent of the pastors of Baptist churches, other than Southern Baptist, so that would be Independent Baptist or uh, probably the more liberal side, the American Baptist, um, because all Independent Baptists, hundred percent, would agree with those things. All right, there's there's no such thing as a, a church like ours that doesn't agree with those things. Then. Um, of charismatic pastors believed those. You know what charismatic church is, right? Only 44% of those had a biblical worldview. Um, 51% of non-denominational Protestant pastors, only 51%. 35% of pastors of black churches, only 35% of the black churches. Then only 28% of the mainline denominations, which would be Presbyterian, Episcopal, uh, that type of thing. Only Lutheran, only 28% of those. Um, Now, this is interesting. Those who went to a seminary had a seminary education. Only 45% of those had a biblical worldview, as opposed to 59% who didn't attend seminary. That's interesting, isn't it? Then, the largest gap related to gender... 53% of male pastors had a biblical worldview. And only 15% of female pastors had a biblical worldview. But that makes sense, right? And that would make sense because if you have a biblical worldview as a woman, you wouldn't be a pastor. That's that's interesting. Um, If you're not from our church and you're not sure where that's coming from, the Bible says very clearly that women... Aren't supposed to be pastors. Um, it's a clear statement in Scripture, and so the, the, there's another huge gap between uh, in race. White senior pastors are twice as likely as black senior pastors to have a biblical worldview. And look at all the trouble in the black community with with immorality and with uh, youth unemployment and and youth crime and all of those issues in the in the black community. And it's because I think in in large part their pastors don't have a biblical worldview. How many of you think that sitting under people with a biblical worldview affects your behavior? Right? Because when you're confronted by Scripture, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, then the Holy Spirit takes that preaching from the Word of God and convicts the heart of the individual. And it changes the way that we live. At least it should. How many of you think preaching ought to change the way that we live? Yeah, yeah. And so what happens is we end up with a with a world, even a Christian world, that is patently unchristian. Imagine a Christian world. You young people, I'm up here. This is me. Hi. It, imagine a Christian world that's not Christian. That's where we are. That's where we are. And uh, we looked at a study in my class this morning about how... Um, young people, those that leave Christianity and stop serving the Lord, that they believe that Christianity is antagonistic to science. They believe that um, that Christianity unduly stigmatizes the things in the world. And but but let's let's we looked at this. Let's get a biblical worldview of what's in the world, okay? Go to first John chapter two. You might have to use four fingers to hold the verses that I've already shown you. Or, pointed you to. 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 16. The Bible says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The Bible makes it very clear that all that is in the world... Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, and that is what dominates the world. Would you all agree with that? That's not of God. It's not of God. So we as preachers, as we point those things out and try to direct people toward holy living, if we have not given our kids a heart for God, well, that's that's a hard way to live. It's hard to reject what you love. And if your children are so in love with the world that they can't give it up for Jesus... Then those decisions become very difficult, don't they? So what are we going to do, as believers, when we look at the world and we look at the culture? And you, how many of you can't watch the news? You just can't do it anymore. Look at hold your hands up. Hold your hands up. Everybody look around. You're not alone. I mean, I watch the news and I'll get so mad and I think, Oh my goodness, everybody's lost their minds. And it doesn't matter whether it's Socialist Party R or Socialist Party D. They've all lost their minds. Isn't it true? Uh, I was just listening to a guy this morning, and you know right before I preach that 's helpful, right? I was listening to a guy this morning, uh, well, I was getting some breakfast, and uh, he said that in Georgia, when they got a Republican governor, government grew sixteen times under the Republican governor in Georgia, sixteen times and so when the, when the Republican runs on small government, yeah, that 's going to work. And so you watch the news and you say, there's no sense in the world. What in the world is going on? Well, all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's not of God, but it's of the world. And so when you have a world that's rejected biblical truth, of course the world is going to look crazy. And then we're going to look crazy when we go out into the world. And we have to be prepared for that. So what are we going to do as Christians? I have an idea. Let's put a fence up around here and let's all move in here. We'll have a compound. We'll get guns. Right? And then we'll have a big pot of Kool-Aid downstairs just in case stuff goes bad. How many of you would say that's not the best way to go? Did you know that, that God never intended for us to do that? God never intended for us to not be a part of society. You know, starting in around the 400s, there was something that happened in Catholicism called monasticism. And they, what they were doing was they would completely separate from the world and go into a monastery or a convent. And, and, they, and what they would do is they would just do simple things like make beads or brew beer or whatever. Amen. Right? And that's, that's what they would do, raise, you know, St. Bernard's. And they, they, they would separate completely from the world so that there was no evil influence. And some of them, they couldn't even talk. There's this one, you know, that you had to have this vow of silence. And so they were allowed to say two words every year. And so this guy hadn't been there very long. And for his first two years, he goes to the head of the, of the monastery and he says, food bad. <laughs> he can't say anything else for another two years. Or another year. Next year... He gets to say his two words, bed hard. After another year, he, he just couldn't take it. He left, and the head of the place said, all he did was complain anyway. <laughs> but, you know, they, they separate people from the world into this little monastery. How does that evangelize the world? How does that help anybody? It doesn't. And and in churches, you have this idea that, that, that separation from the world means that we don't interact with the world. How do you ever lead someone to Christ that you don't talk to? So what is the answer? We need to engage. We need to engage. So let's look at a couple of passages, and then I want to talk about this some more. Look at the Ephesians 4. Start reading in verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? So what did God give? God gave apostles and there were only 12 of those. And then he gave prophets, and those are the ones that spoke the Scriptures before they were written and gave us the Word of God. And then he gave evangelists, we would call those missionaries now, they're church planters that travel around. And then pastors and teachers. The pastor and teacher is the same office. The pastor prote- that, That's the role of protecting the flock, and the teacher, obviously, is the role of teaching the flock. And what all of those things were given to the church for was this, till we all come to the, for the perfecting, verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So the idea is that my job, Pastor Nathan's job, all of our Sunday school teachers' jobs, is to perfect you so that you can do the work of the ministry. Mature you, grow you, so that you can do the work of the ministry. Amen? And there's always somebody that's sitting back there thinking, it's what we pay you for. Well, then I need a raise. Because I can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, I say people expect a pastor to be an administrative whiz, a, a finance whiz, a speaking whiz, a counseling whiz, and oh, this building whiz, and I'm not even cheese whiz. You know what I mean? I, there's no way in the world that I can do all this stuff. It's not going to happen, but th- it's not God's plan for me to do it all, is it? No, it's God's plan for us to do it together, Right? are striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the way that the Bible says it. We are all supposed to do it. So the job of the ministry is to prepare those in it to do the work of the ministry. all with me so far? All right. Then, look what the Bible says. Middle of verse 12. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, edify, that means to build up. Like you see an edifice, it's a building. It's to build up. So your job is to build up other people in the ministry. And consequently, what that does is that builds the ministry. You want to know how we can have a great church? How many of you want to have a great church here? The, like six. That's awesome. Man, I feel so encouraged today. How many of you want to have a great church? Amen. All right. How are we going to do that? We've got to have great great homes. have got to have great families. We can't have a great church if you don't have a great family. Why? Because this isn't the church. You're the church. The church is made up of families. And that's why when you go to Ephesians 5, you can't tell whether he's talking about the home or the church. Why is that? Because the church is made up of homes. This church is based on you guys. Well, it's based on Jesus, but it's made up of you. And if you are not right in your home, we can't have a great church. Is that fair? And so then it comes down, you can't have a great family if you don't love Jesus yourself individually. There's a difference between a Christian home and a home full of Christians. You know, remember, was it forty-six percent of Christians believe only forty-six percent of Christians believe that salvation is by grace alone. Forty-six percent of those who call themselves born again. What is being born again? It's trusting in Jesus alone for your eternal life. How many of you think there are people that think they're born again and aren't? You know, Dalton Robertson says there's more Baptists in Texas than will be in heaven. But getting being Baptist never saved anybody. Isn't that right? It's not what church you go to. It's whether or not you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you born again? Do you believe that He is God? That He came and was born of a virgin? That He lived a sinless life? That He was nailed to a cross to pay for your sin because you deserve to go to hell? Do you believe that and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day proving that He was, is and always will be God? That He ascended to the right hand of the Father and right now He makes intercession for His saints? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, if those aren't the things that you are trusting in. When you got saved, you're not saved. It's very simple. And yet, after you're born again, you're supposed to get plugged into something. You're a part of something. You invest in something. It's very easy to give something up that you're not invested in. You see, that's why it's really easy for government to spend your money. Right? Right? It's, it's really easy to spend other people's money. Have you ever had somebody say this? Well, you really ought to paint your house. You need some new countertops. Really? Can I have your checkbook? It's very easy to spend somebody else's money. Isn't that right? Hey, kids, it's really easy to spend mom and dad's money, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we say to our kids, see, my, grand, my, my father-in-law still has the first penny he ever earned. You know what I mean? And... So Jacob or Lydia, like Lydia, she saw this little Volkswagen bug, and I always called her bug, so we like that car. And she, she, and she does the, uh, what's the kid from, who is it? Forica. Faruka from uh, Willy Wonka. And she'll say, buy it for me, Daddy. <laughs> and I'll say, okay, just get the money from Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it's real easy to spend other people's money, isn't that right? It's real easy to walk away from something that you're not invested in. And if you've not given your heart to the Lord and His work, it's very easy to walk away from that. And you know what I found? The people that you invest in the most leave the easiest because it's what's for them, not what they're doing for somebody else. It's interesting. Have you ever noticed that renters take care of a property differently than owners? Is that different? Now, if you're a renter here, take care of that property. If you own rental property, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have how many dogs? (laughs) Now, what are we going to do? Look at this text. For the perfecting of the saints, verse 12, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Do you see that? The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How's that for a goal right there? And what's the test? How do we know when that's accomplished? That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. I want you to notice something that happens here. Young people ask questions. Isn't that right? Whether they ask them out loud or not is another question. But young people ask questions. Why do we do it this way? Why do we believe this? Are we right? How do I know that Grace Baptist Church is teaching the truth? How do I know this? these aren't just Pastor Jim's opinions? What is the truth? Kids ask questions. They want to know what the truth is. That's a good thing. But do you know when you stop being a child, you young people, do you know when you stop being a child? Here's what it says, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You're no longer a child when you are impervious to false doctrine. When you know God's truth so well that when false doctrine comes in, you identify it immediately and it doesn't affect you at all. It doesn't affect you at all. You know the truth and you're free. Remember John 8, 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You have liberty in Christ. You have freedom in Christ because you know what the truth is and you know where to stand. That's when you're not a child anymore. That's the goal of the ministry, isn't it? That's the goal of the ministry. How about you adults? Are you ready to stand? Are you ready to give an answer? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Are you ready to engage a lost culture? That's our goal. Look at verse 15. How are we going to accomplish it? Okay, young people, here's the opposite of being tossed to and fro. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Here's the idea. When you are speaking the truth in love to someone else, when you know how to give them the answers, that's when you're no longer a child. When you can answer their questions. When you know what the Bible says. When you know what the truth is well enough to speak it to someone else. Folks, we always say this. You don't really know something until you can tell it to somebody else. Isn't that right? How I many of you want a doctor? You go to the doctor. Doctor, what's wrong? You know, I'm really not sure. I'm going to have to look this one up. That's really what you want in your surgeon, isn't it? doctor Reese Rhee's got you cut open. And he goes, hmm, never thought of this. No, you don't know something until you can tell it to someone else, until you're ready to do something with it. Amen? And and that's growth. That's what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sitters. We're supposed to be doers, speakers, speak the truth in love, ready to engage a lost and dying world. That's who we're supposed to be. So now, this is where we're going. This was the point of the whole thing. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly... Joined together. Do you see this right here? You see the cogs up here? You know that they are engaged, right? How many of you are thinking engaged? Number one. Remember? How many of you are with me on that? All right, you Trekkies. Now look. You've got your cogs, and those cogs are turning, and they're not accomplishing much. And then they're fitly joined together. Then the whole machine works. You see, the whole machinery of Christianity is based on its individual cogs. And you are one of those cogs. Are you fitly joined together with the rest of the machine? Look at what the verse says. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So here's what happens. When we are all doing what we're supposed to do, well, then the whole body is edified. The whole body is built up, and we're ready to go out into the world and change it. Do you realize what happens when, I don't know, there's 230 people here today or whatever. Do you know what happens when all of us get together and work? Amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. That's God's plan. Now look at what it says. This I say, therefore, verse 17, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. So here's the result. If we're going to engage, number one, we must be engaged. You all get that here, fitly joined together? We must be engaged. And look at the things that we want to engage. We want to engage family and neighbors and friends and culture and the world, but that happens only after we have engaged ourselves with the Scripture. You see, the Scripture tells us that's the power that changes everything, empowers everything, and motivates everything that we do. If we'll do that, then we'll impact the world. How how is this going to manifest itself? In the way that we walk. The way that we walk. There's a difference. How many of you know that you can tell something about a person by the way that they walk? You know? You can tell stuff about people the way, the way that they walk. Is that true? you know that we're supposed to walk like Christians? We're supposed to walk like Christians. Do you know that there's a way that Satan wants you to walk? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins... Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You used to, you know, you can walk like that. That's the way that Satan wants Christians to walk. Do y'all get that? Look at what it says. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who's rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And what has He done? He's raised us up, and we're supposed to live differently. You see, here's what happens. Our children end up walking in the world because they love the world. All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. It's not of God. But it's of the world. And it's going to pass away. Isn't that right? It's all going to pass away. We, God wants us to walk a different way. Look back at Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, from now on, walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. What is the vanity of their mind? Nothing. What are you doing today? I don't know. What do you hope to have happen in next, next year? I don't know. Why are you doing what you're doing? I don't know. Vanity. Emptiness. No, no idea. What, no idea what the purpose of their life is. It's, it's meaningless. It's like, have you seen that video of this lady walking through the mall texting and she fell into the fountain? I love stuff like that. That is awesome. Just hilarious, man. What is that? That is the extreme walking in the vanity of the mind. It's insane. It's like people texting when they drive. Don't do that. Is that right? Don't do that. What did uh, Tim Hawkins said? Driving down the street and this lady was putting on makeup while she was driving. Ran him off the road into a ditch. He said he spilled his bowl of cereal. (laughs) We all, and it's funny, we live that way, don't we? That's the way that we live. The Bible says don't walk that way. Don't walk like the Gentiles, like the lost people. As a believer, it's possible to walk like a lost person. Don't do that. Look at what it says, verse 18. How do they walk? Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Look, God wants all of us to have joy. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to have happiness. He wants us to have everything. The Bible says He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all of that. And do you know what we're supposed to do with it? Just walk like a Christian. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him, so if you say that you abide in Christ, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Do you know how we're supposed, to walk? we're supposed to walk like Christ? We're supposed to be like Christ. It just got hard, didn't it? How many of you think there's a difference between walking like a Christian and walking like Christ? Because walking like a Christian is based on how you think a Christian ought to walk. Walking like Christ, remember, we don't say, what would Jesus do? We say, what did Jesus do when He was here on earth doing things? Right? That's the bracelet we need. That's a whole lot different than what people think about Christianity. It's so much different. That's the way that we need to engage the world. So, how did God intend for us to do this? He gave us the church. God's plan for accomplishing all of this is the New Testament church. Through the church, we can engage our family. Remember, the church is made up of families. Through the church, we can engage our friends What do you mean engage our friends? Uh, In military terms, when you engage the enemy, that means you're making contact with them. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. We make contact for a purpose. And what is that? Defeating the enemy. Who's our enemy? Our neighbor? No. Our enemy is Satan. And our neighbor is walking according to his will. We want to rescue them. That's our job. Our job is to go after them and rescue them. Our, our family, our friends, our neighbors. We engage the culture. We engage the world. And our authority for that is Scripture. Um, look with me at First John chapter 17. I want you to notice something. Remember, those of you who have been through discipleship training, John chapter 17. I have a new Bible, and it's the altered version. All right, John chapter 17, look at verse 11. Those of you who have been in discipleship training know that we, uh, we spend a lot of time in John 17 or in Ephesians 4. But look at John chapter 17. Start reading in verse 11. Okay, now, just to set it for you, this is where Jesus Christ is praying to God for you and for His other disciples, okay? Look at what He says. And now I am no more in the world. He's getting ready to die on the cross and ascend to the Father. But these are in the world, and I come on, and I come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Do you see that? That they may be one. You see that? Our graphic. That's the idea. Engaged. Engaged together as a church. Then look at what it says, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that's Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Okay, so you ready for this? God's not going to take you out of the world until He takes every Christian out through the rapture. All right, unless you die. But He's not going to take you out of the world, but He doesn't want you to be of the world, in the world, but not of the world. How many of you understand that? Right, we're supposed to be godly people in the world, and He's going to keep us. He's going to give us joy in that. And He's going to keep us from the evil. Verse 16, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Do you see that repetition there? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Set them apart for you. Sanctify. Set them apart for you through the word, through the scriptures. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So he was getting ready to die on the cross, be separated from the Father for us. Then He prays for you and me. I love this verse. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That's you. How many of you got saved through the Scriptures? Jesus is praying for you specifically right here. If you haven't done it yet, you need to write down right there. That's me. That's me. Jesus Christ was praying for you. And then what did He pray? That they all might be one, as Thou, Father, art in me, and I in Thee, and that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, I want you to know something. That oneness, it has to be based in truth. God the Father and God the Son don't disagree about the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, uh, salvation by grace through faith alone, the Word of God. How many of you think that God the Father and God the Son agree on that? And so that's the idea. We're all one in the faith. Do you know what the the key is, though? The key here? Look at what it says in verse... uh, 21 again, it says that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Here's what's going to happen. If we all do what we're supposed to do, the world's going to believe. Not the whole world, but people in the world. I think that the greatest indictment against God in the world is weak Christians. We need to know what we believe. We need to be able to speak the truth in love. And look at what it says in verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are. Do you see the, the, the significance of the oneness? I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and look it, and hast loved them as thou Hast loved me. This is so important. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given, given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Do you see this love? It's all through this text. Verse 25. O righteous Father, the world hath not known me, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, look at this, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. I want you to notice the place of the love here, okay? So how are we going to engage the world? Well, we've been pretty good at being a militant church. Would you all agree with that? How many of you think of love and militance at the same time? Now, I've done some marriage counseling for some of you, so I know some of you understand that. But how many of you get what's being spoken there? See, we're supposed to hate the world's system. We're supposed to hate evil, but we're supposed to express it in love. How do you express hatred in love? How do you do that? It all goes back to your motive. It all goes back to your motive. If you love that person and you know that evil thing is going to ruin them, then the way that you address them will be in a way that allows them to hear the love so that you can identify the error and remove it from their life. Again, no one is going to come to me to do surgery on them. Right? Nobody's going to come to me to do surgery. They go to a doctor and they know that they go to a doctor that they believe has their best... Uh, their best in mind. Isn't that right? You, you don't want a doctor that just wants to cut on you so that he can have more money. You want a doctor that will only cut on you if that's what is on, the only way that you're going to get better. Isn't that right? Well, that's the same kind of relationship that we need to have with the world. We need to be the kind of people that only cut when it's necessary. And the people that hear it know that we love them. But notice the different love. There's the love of the Father for the Son, there's the love of the Father and Son for us, there's our love for each other, and this leads the world to belief in Jesus Christ. So how are we going to do this? Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. 2 Timothy and verse. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. No man that warreth, now notice, notice the language that God uses. Look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great text for Memorial Day? Isn't that awesome? Then look at verse 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, look at what this says. We're supposed to be engaged, not entangled. Engaged. Not entangled. You see, we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. So let me ask you a question. Are you engaged with the world to lead them to Christ, to be the light of Christ in the culture, or are you entangled with the world to where you're just like them and they don't see any difference between your choices and their choices? They're out of church for sports. You're out of church for sports. They're out of church for fun, you're out of church for fun. They're out of church for school, you're out of church for school. There's no difference. There's no difference. Are you engaged or are you entangled with the world? So what are we going to do? Well, look, we as Christians, Grace Baptist Church, we're not going to shut down the school system. We're not going to stop the sports leagues. What we have to make sure that we're doing is if we are in the school system, that we're engaging the school system for Christ. That if we're in the sports world, that we're engaging the sports world for Christ. If we're in the work world, that we're not of the work world, that we're engaging the work world for Christ. Your work, your job is to provide for your family and have to give to those around you. Your work is not to earn money. Your work is to serve God so you have money to live for Him and be a light for him in that workplace are you engaged or are you entangled it's so different now you might have a job that you hate that's pastor nathan (laughs) you might have a job that you hate well praise god you've got a way to provide for your family and i know that you're thankful for that i know that you are but you know what god has you in that place for a reason to represent him in the world. See, we've got to find a way to engage the world in love. You know, if the world thinks we hate them, it's very hard to reach them. You know, the culture that's out there now, I don't like it. I don't like it. You know, you got somebody, they walk up to you and they got the Chinese phone book tattooed on their face and you're sitting, oh, my goodness. That's the culture we live in, isn't that right? And it's shocking. I'm serious. Somebody has a wing nut in their eyebrow. I'm saying, holy cow! <laughs> but don't spank your kids. I mean, I'd, <laughs> pierce your skull, but don't the, spank the kids. The world's upside down, right? And so I've got this guy coming up. He's got a wing nut in his eyebrow, you know. He's got a brake pad in his nose. And you're just <laughs> hanging off the earlobe. And here's what we do. They know how we're looking at them. Now, I know what you're thinking. They want us to look at them that way. What would Christ have done? He would have sat down had some Starbucks with them. It's in the book. (laughs) You all don't read Hebrew. If you did, you'd understand. And he'd talk to them. And he'd love them. I think it would be so cool if we had a dude with a Chinese phone book tattooed on his face being an usher here at Grace Baptist. Patrick, that doesn't mean I want you to tattoo your face like a... But you know, you lead them to Christ. Then they start serving the Lord. And they're loved and accept it at Grace Baptist Church the way anyone else is. How are we going to reach the world if we don't love them? How are we going to engage the world if we don't pray for them? This whole year, the rest of the year, and then we already have our new year, our theme for the, for the next year planned. The whole theme for this year is going to be giving you strategies on how to engage the world. Uh, I, I want the atmosphere at Grace Baptist to move from militant to love and to where all of our stands are expressed in, in love. All of our stand for truth is, exp- is, is expressed in the right kind of spirit, in a biblical spirit. I, I mean, look at, look at the room right now. Look at what God is doing here. I think that God wants to do more. That can't happen unless we engage. So here's my question. Are you engaged or are you entangled? Are you engaged or are you entangled? I know that our military, when they're in combat, they ask the family at home not to call with problems. Because the last thing they want is a distracted soldier. Right? You know what Satan wants to do? He wants to distract you to keep you from warring a good warfare. So what do we need? To engage the enemy, we need a command structure. We need a command structure. That command structure is provided in the New Testament church. In order for that to happen, we need male leadership. We need some men to step forward and say, You know what, Pastor? I volunteer. I'm ready. I'm here. What do you need? What do you need? And then, some of you need to join. If you're not a member of Grace Baptist Church and you you attend here, you need to get on board. You need to invest. If you don't give financially... You need, you, need to, you need to give. You need to support. And then as far as our ministries, you know we'll have outreach. We'll have 20 people come for outreach. 10%? How many of you think that's a good number? No, see, we need the whole church engaged. We need the whole church to say, Pastor, I'm in. Lord Jesus, I'm in. I recognize that the New Testament church is God's plan for this time, and I'm in. I'm going to be a part. I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to say, no, you do it, you do it, you do it. I'm going to say, I am in. This is my church. And I have a job to do. I'm going to be part of it. Get in. Get in. I brag about you all everywhere I go. I just think we have, the, we have just a fantastic work here. I'm so encouraged by you men, the way that you lead your homes. You ladies, the way that you submit to your husbands, and you look like godly ladies. You behave like godly ladies. Um, I know that there's probably some gossip here at Grace Baptist. You know, you know how I know that? Because there's people here. I know there's probably... But it's not like other places where I've been. There's such a wonderful spirit here. The next thing we need to do is we need all of you folks that you're gen, you genuinely love the Lord... We need to mobilize. We need to, to engage our community. And I'm talking about things like, if there's a parade, Grace Baptist Church ought to have a float in it. We need to engage the culture. We need to be in it. I think it would be cool if we could set up some kind of a, a concession stand at some of the ball games, and people that come through, they say, this is, this is our gift to you from Grace Baptist. and Engage the culture so people know who we are. Then when we knock on the door, oh, you're that church, yeah. You see? That's the idea. Let me tell you a couple of changes that we're going to be making. Um, Starting next Sunday morning, all of the adult classes are going to gather together in the fellowship hall for a little while. We're going to have Brother Knox next next Sunday, and uh, we're all going to be in there to hear him. It's going to be an interview time with him. But then for the rest of the summer, all the adult classes are going to come together, and there's some things that I want us to work on together and then we're going to restructure in the fall, all the adult classes together. Um, Sunday nights, is going, we're not going to be doing question and answer in Sunday school or Wednesday night. Sunday night is going to be our question and answer. We're going to have a question from the young people every night. The Pastor Nathan, every Sunday night, the Pastor Nathan's going to bring us. We're going to discuss it. And then I'm going to teach you how to answer questions. How do, when somebody asks you a question about the culture, about Scripture, how do we answer those things scripturally? That's what we're going to start doing a week from Sunday night after Brother Knox. These are some simple things that we're beginning to introduce. And here's what we're looking for. We're wanting to integrate all of our ministries for one purpose. And uh, we've had all the deacons and our leadership reading a book. And and so we have a new outreach and and a way to uh, assimilate people into the church that we're going to be working on and, and introducing in the fall. We're working ahead. We're moving ahead. New discipleship ministry, new discipleship, all of that in the fall. That's all coming in the fall. But right now, we're going to come together and we're going to learn how to engage the culture for the rest of this year. I hope that you all will pray about that. And I hope you'll pray, God, where do you want me? What do you have for me to do in the Lord's work? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church.